Welcome to the Untold Podcast, capturing the culture's imagination through speculative fiction. I'm your host, Nathan James Norman. Thanks for tuning into our 96th episode. We continue our march towards our very special 100th. What do we have in store? <laughs> well, that's a mystery, even to me. Today's story is by A.K. Preston. Preston moved from Illinois to South Dakota in April 2013, worked five years in the banking industry before deciding he would rather work with pigs than debit cards, and took a sew farm job in November 2018. A.K. Preston is the pen name for Preston Klopfenstein. By day, he's the resident midwife for a farm of 4,000 sows. By night, also known as very early morning, he writes riveting, mysterious tales of good and evil. His first book is The Gavadin Project, a sci-fi horror novel about environmental terrorists and genetically engineered tigers. He has also contributed two short stories to the Unseen Anthology by Two Tigers LLC. You can find him on his blog at Empyrean Voyage as well as his website at akpreston.com. Sign up for his mailing list at either site to download the Gavadin Chronicles, a free anthology of prequel stories for the novel. Preston currently resides in Rock Rapids with his wife, two children, and 100 books he might actually write someday. Check the show notes for the direct links to his works and the Gavadin Project. Today's story originally appeared in the Unseen Anthology. So now, without further ado, the Untold Podcast is proud to present The Vision of Endor by A.K. Preston. Her lover had come again tonight. Not that he ever left her, but his presence was as arbitrary as his whims. She no longer questioned them. He had no living eyes, but she felt his gaze as she sprinkled fresh-cut herbs into the draft. The brackish liquid cast a strangely clear reflection in the firelight. She stared into a face that had once been beautiful, bright copper eyes gleaming out over full, soft lips and supple skin crowned by raven locks. Clouded now, the lips dry and bloodless, her aged flesh hanging loosely upon the bones. Dayon took what form he wished. Often he appeared to her as a raven, at other times a serpent. Once a black, man-like shadow of liquid fire. Watching, waiting, whispering. Her dreams granted him some semblance of the human flesh he craved. There he appeared a prince of Assyria, or one of the Anakim of Ashdod. She too was young and desirable again. They took their fill together many times. Only the draft brought them now. Her dreams had been both vivid and frequent in the first years of the craft, but unaided sleep was now a consuming blackness. Come to me, my love. She raised the bowl, touched it to her lips. A knock at the door. 
She looked toward the sound, caught sight of Dayon misting away to nothingness, the murmur of men's voices beyond. She placed the bowl carefully on the ground and covered it with a mantle. She rose and unlatched the door, edged it open. Three men stood outside, cloaks shadowing their faces. One of them, a head taller than the others, leaned forward. Are you Asherah of Endor? Who speaks? The man seemed to not hear her question, staring out under his hood with searching eyes. It is said that the dead speak unto you. She froze, dared a glance at the other two men. One averted his eyes, shifting on his feet. The other stared back with undisguised hatred. I am not the woman. Leave me. No. A hand caught the door, held it fast. Do not turn me away. I know who you are. She pushed against the door. He flung it toward her. She stumbled backwards. All three men were suddenly through the doorway. She backed away, terrified. They say a spirit dwells and speaks with you. The tall man lowered his voice. I pray you, divine unto me by the familiar spirit, and bring him up whom I shall name to you. She stared at him, forced down her fear. Divine unto you? Are you a madman? Surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off those that have familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life, to cause me to die? As Adonai lives, there shall no punishment happen to you for this thing. The man looked her directly in the eye, his voice calm, his face naked desperation. Only divine unto me. She looked behind him. Dayon was forming himself out of the shadows, the faceless fire again. But the shape was a lion rather than a man, stalking, growling with desire and ever-present rage. Before her eyes he became serpent, slithered between the legs of the strangers. He came to the tall one and rose, enwrapping himself around the man's body, unseen by all eyes but her own. Obey him. Obey him. Follow me. The strangers were seated. She removed the carpet with a flourish, watched their faces blanch. The pit beneath was a cubit in length and a cubit deep, the bottom covered by a layer of ash and blackened wood. Whom shall I bring up before you? Bring me up Samuel. She looked up at him sharply. That name. She said nothing. The ritual required a fire. She dropped fresh kindling and retrieved flame from the adjoining room. It spread quickly. Shadows played across the walls as she traced a circle in the dirt about the pit. Then she poured the libations, milk, 
honey, sweet wine, then water. She sprinkled white barley over it in quick, memorized motions. Then she began the chant. The spells were her own creation, the words a distorted mixture of Hittite, Egyptian, Amorite, Akkadian, and others passed down from her instructor. One of the woman's final lessons echoed in her ears. Our craft is but the game of children before the knowledge of the ancient ones, lost in the consuming waters. There remain none who hold the unspeakable words save the seven masters chained below the deep. Ye shall seek the key to their freedom in vain, for that power is sealed against the daughters of men. Dayon was a serpent again. He came to her feet, encircled several times before slithering upward around her body, his motions keeping rhythm with her words. She drew a dagger, her voice continuing of its own accord. Most used a lamb for the next step. She used her own blood. She pressed the blade and drew it over her wrist, careful to avoid the veins. Blood flowed, and she sprinkled it directly over the flame. Dayon did not hesitate. She opened her mouth, threw back her head. She smelled brimstone and lilies, felt the quickening as he entered her body. Her chant gave way to high shrieks and low dronings, the octaves impossible for her own voice. The room blurred and darkened. She saw one of the men draw his sword. The tall one restrained him. Then, blackness. As always, Dayan's presence simultaneously removed all feeling and senses. Her own existence now signified only by spirit and mind. As a student, it had terrified her. Now, she welcomed it. Their journey was at once dissension and ascent. In a moment of time, and yet no time, they passed through a hundred plains and a thousand waters, a life age of the world. They came before a gate. What formed a gate? Twin, hideous shapes of lightless force, high and fearful. Terror made visible. Refame. Whose name do you bring? Dayon. The monstrous forms parted before them. Enter in peace, brother. They came to the ladder and descended. Here was darkness, the essence of all, heart of the abyss that proceeded and would succeed all things. There was no life within, yet it teemed with presence. Flaming shadows, Rephaim, Nophilim, Shadim, beings, forms and elements yet more ancient and terrible. 
the vengeful powers of the deep rising to unleash their wrath upon the world. The shades of men among them wailing, gnashing, cursing. Hungry, leonine voices chanting upon a roaring wind. The latter ended, the voices unceasing. They left them, ventured farther, to the very ends of the lower world. A bottomless gulf. Here they could not pass. She saw beyond as through a mist. She called out once more in Dayon's voice. Samuel, come forth. There was silence. Then, an answer across the chasm. By whose name comest thou, a daughter of the living, unto the place of those that sleep? By Dayon, my master, a prince of Sheol, in his name come forth. Thunder and a flash. A hooded figure. She suddenly felt her body again, knees to the ground, dirt beneath her palms, searing pain, tearing, twisting, burning. She couldn't scream. Thy Thy spells and and thy whoredoms perish with with thee, thou heart of the watchers. The voice pierced through her skull, cold and deadly. As thou hast transgressed the boundary of death, behold thy death before thee. White hot light enveloped her. The image unfolded as a living scroll before her eyes. A memory. The streets of a city. Multitudes on either side, shouting, cursing, cheering. Armed soldiers, charioteers, leading prisoners in chains, men, women, old and young, her own teacher among them. She watched the procession as if far off yet impossibly near. The prisoners marched stiffly. One stumbled, was beaten back in line. His clothing hung in tatters, revealing bloodied stripes upon his back. The law demanded only stoning, yet this man had been whipped. A platform of wood stood at the far end of the path. A tall, robed figure sat thereon, crown upon his head, retainers at his sides. A young man, strong, vigorous, even handsome, yet his face was hard as stone. He glared down at the captives with glittering eyes one hand stroking his beard. One of the soldiers mounted the dais, kneeled before him. These be they, O king, which have bewitched thy people and laid their curses upon the house of Saul. What is thy decree and thy judgment upon them? Shall they be stoned by the commandment of the law? The eyes stared past the captain, fixed upon one of the prisoners, her teacher. Something 
dark slithered across the face. These be not the seed of Israel, but of Gibeon. The words were venom. Therefore let them first be burned with coals of fire, and their flesh given unto the fowls of heaven. Then shall they be stoned by the word of Moses. The crowd erupted into a roar of joy, howling, chanting. The soldiers brought forth tongs, each grasping a glowing stone, jerked the prisoners forward, cries of fear, then agony. She turned away, saw the king's face once more. He watched the spectacle without a trace of either sympathy or malice. His eyes looked past her, through her, cold, dead. The city suddenly darkened into nothingness, the cries fading into silence. Yet the king's image remained, changing, aging. Lines drew themselves upon the face, the beard fading gray, then white. Even his raiment changed, the royal robes giving way to a hooded cloak. The face was suddenly alive again, hands grabbing her shoulders, desperate, shouting. What do you see? What do you see? She screamed, pushed the stranger away. Why have you deceived me? You are Saul! The man froze, stared at her, then slowly rose to his feet, drew back his hood. Do not be afraid, the voice from the vision, older now, weary. What did you see? I saw gods ascending out of the earth. His face twisted, confused, impatient. What form is he of? She looked towards the pit and trembled. A shape was rising in the very midst of the flames. The same hooded figure, somehow more terrible than anything else she had seen in Sheol. There was no shadow beneath the veil, but pure, unadulterated fire shaped to take a human face. An old man comes up, and he is covered with a mantle. Why, Why is that disquieted to me? To, to bring, bring me up? up? The voice resounded through the entire room, sourceless, inhuman, as if the walls themselves had spoken. Saul went pale. Samuel, he whispered. Fear and relief strangely mingled in his features. I am sore distressed for the Philistines make war against me, and God is departed from me and answers me no more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called you to make known unto me what I shall do. For a moment, the specter regarded him in silence, its fiery visage inscrutable. Then the voice returned. Wherefore then does thou ask, ask of me, seeing Adonai, Adonai departed from thee, and has become thine enemy, and Adonai hath rent the, the kingdom out of thine hand, and given it to thy neighbor, even to, to David. More images in the fire. A youth, fair and ruddy, kneeling before a much older man. Samuel himself, holding a horn of oil, 
The young man bowed, and the prophet poured it over his head. The vision changed, and the man was suddenly older, bearded, clothed in armor, sword held high, a crown upon his brow. A great multitude surrounded him, priests of Levi, the princes and elders of Israel with their tribes. Music carried through the air, shofars, tabrets, harps, and singing, Hoshana! 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 Because thou obeyest not the voice of Adonai, nor executest his fierce wrath upon Amalek, therefore hath Adonai done this thing unto thee this day. Another image. A memory once more. Saul stood over a man prostrate on the ground, clothed in the tatters of royal robes. A web of patterned scars covered the prisoner's face and body. She recognized them immediately, the markings of Agag. Saul's sword was drawn. He held it over the defeated king as if to deliver a killing strike. The blade rose and was sheathed. The image blurred and gave way to another. Saul and his prisoner again, but another man with them. Samuel, once more, his eyes aflame with fury. His blade now took the place of Saul's and did not hesitate. The prisoner's head rolled lifeless from his shoulders. The living Samuel snatched it up, held it aloft by the hair. Dead eyes leered out from the glyph-scarred face. Samuel's likeness turned and looked straight at her, lips moving as his spirit spoke once more. Moreover, Adonai will also deliver Israel with thee into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me. Another vision, and she knew it was the last. A battlefield, two armies clashing, spears, swords, shattered shields, cries of pain, blood misting through the air. The sons of Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod, Ekron, Gath, avenging themselves as one upon their ancient enemy. Torn bodies lying gored upon the ground, the victors' triumphant cheers, laughter, mockery, some lapping the blood of their butchered foes. Adonai also shall deliver the host of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. The words thundered, the fire flared. Then there was nothing. For a moment, she thought herself blinded, then realized the fire had been extinguished. She groped in the darkness, saw that not a flame remained throughout the house. It took some time to light a candle. She blinked against the dim light and looked before her. Two of the men were sitting where she had left them, hands clasped and faces covered. Their lord lay crouched as if fallen upon the ground, murmuring inaudibly with his face within his hands and weeping. She looked down. The dagger lay at her feet. Vengeance was merely a step away. What did it matter if his servants slew her? Her life, her true life, had ended long ago. 
And yet, a familiar presence stirred in the shadows. Dayon emerged, watching, warning. He stood directly over Saul. Her master had spoken. She knelt before the king, placing her free hand on his shoulder. Behold, your handmaid has obeyed your voice, and I have put my life into your hand, and have hearkened unto your words which you spoke to me. Now, therefore, I pray you hearken also unto the voice of your handmaid, and let me set a morsel of bread before you, and eat, that you may have strength when you go on your way. He pushed her away. I will not eat. One of the servants rose, motioned to her. She drew back and knelt in her place. My lord, I have ever followed you unto this day, and will do so unto whatever ends await. For the sake of your kindred and your father's house, I bid you eat. Saul lifted his head at last, and his eyes were dead. They spoke no further words that night. They dined mutely upon the meat and bread she brought them, unleavened as on the night of death so long ago in Egypt. She slaughtered the calf with the dagger that had drawn her own blood. Saul never looked at her. One of the servants offered a bag of coins which she immediately refused. Then she and her lover were alone once more. She sat before the fire the dagger in her hand, stared into the flames. Thou harlot of the watchers. She felt Dayon, though she did not see him. He was everywhere. The walls of the room, the ground beneath her feet, the blood in her veins. He had never truly gone, and would never leave. He was forming again, coming for her. The room did not fade this time. She closed her eyes, received the final vision. The battlefield again, but only one of the men upon it. Saul, clothed in his armor, wounded, drawing his sword, trembling hands positioning the blade beneath him, rising with the last of his strength, and falling. She opened her eyes. Dayon was before her, the raven again. Then he changed, grew, his feathers warping into something he had never shown outside her dreams. A man. Human. Or what had once been human. Empty sockets stared back from a face of pallid gray. The flesh decayed, torn lips exposing the teeth in a grin that no way resembled a smile. The likeness of a man long dead and rotting in the grave. Nevertheless, she recognized the face. The husband she had lost. The one for whom she had embraced the craft in her mourning. The one soul that Dayon, in his jealous spite, refused to summon before her. Come to me, my love. Our gods call to us both, son of Kish, she whispered. Hillel, Hillel, Hillel. 
she raised the dagger and took her final journey into the deep. was our story. I hope you liked it. There's a lot going on in this story, but I need to mention if you or someone you love is contemplating suicide, please call or text the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255 or visit suicidepreventionlifeline.org. I'll have direct links in the show notes. I will also include a link to a sermon I preached on why Saul's suicide was tragic. Back to the story. Normally, I do not like biblical fiction, but this one was done right. If you want to read the biblical account, you can find it in 1 Samuel 28. I have lots to say on this one, including some personal stories of dealing with necromancy in connection with this text, and how God used the production of this show to confront some dark supernatural forces this very week. I'll share those thoughts and more on The Untold Underground, our patron-exclusive show on Patreon. Before we go, remember that... This podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network at christiangeekcentral.com. Please remember to like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, blog about us, leave us a nice review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find us, support us on Patreon, and tell your friends. The Untold Podcast has been funded by Jason Brannon, Jen Finelli, Fred Heimbaugh, Clayton Webb, Parker J. Cole, Laura Van Arendonk Baugh, Amy Winter Voss, Mike and Andrew Williams, Spearblade Productions, The Retro Rewind Podcast, Rudy Diaz, Jackie Hanna, Deborah Dunson, Amanda St. John, GS Muse, and Nathan and Casey Butler. And I'm Nathan James Norman asking you, whose name do you bring? <laughs>